Blog Talk Radio. and CEO of the International Seakeepers Society. Now, given his new position, Dean's previous experience may strike you as a little bit strange. Among other things, he was a president of the Coral Gables Trust, which is a financial institution that he also helped to found. Plus, he served senior positions with several other financial institutions. However, the Seakeepers Board of Directors believed that his business experience was exactly what the nonprofit organization needed, especially in light of the continued weak global economy. In addition, Dean has a personal passion for protecting the oceans, which he'll also discuss with us today. So let's get started. Dean, welcome to Mega Yacht News Radio. Well, thank you very much, Diane. It's good to be with you. Good, good. Glad to have you here. You know, you are active with some other ocean-oriented organizations, so obviously, you know, there, there's a tie there, but what originally spurred your interest overall in conservation and preservation? Um. I've been living in South Florida for about 22 years, and we started to notice the deterioration of the conditions in the water, just, you know, less fish, um, dirtier water, et cetera. And then one of the things we noticed is that they enacted a couple of laws that really changed things. And I think the one that was the most telling was the banning of netting for bait fish. And all of a sudden, you got more bait fish, and then you got more big fish, and the fishing improved. And so it struck me that if you know a group of like-minded people could get together, uh, we could make a difference. And at that point, through some friends, I got introduced to the University of Miami, uh, their Center for Sustainable Fisheries, and then to some other institutions, and it really just took off. Mm-hmm. So then how did you learn about sea keepers? Uh, Michael Moore is our chairman, uh, who is an, an old friend. We, you know, we share uh, some past in terms of our kids going to school together, etc. And I'd helped my son set up a marine awareness club at his high school and ran into Michael, you know, coincidentally on the street and said, hey, Michael, I've got Dr. Guy Harvey, the marine artist and the marine scientist, speaking at the school tomorrow. Would you like to come? And so he said, you know, that sounds great. So we went and we heard Guy speak. And then, you know, as we were going back and forth, he described to me what he was doing with Sea Keepers, what the vision for Sea Keepers was. It was a real eye-opener for me because I'd not heard of the organization before. That was uh, probably, I guess, 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what made you decide to accept the role of president and CEO? You know, for argument's sake, why not simply remain in the financial services industry and still continue to support some of these clauses, or even perhaps just become a, a, a regular member of the Seakeeper Society. You know, why take the extra step? You know, it's, it's a great question. Um, and, and frankly, as I stepped down from day-to-day management of the trust company I founded, uh, I looked at doing some stuff and continuing to do some stuff in the financial services industry. And then Michael approached me and he said, Dean, you know, you're at a, a juncture of your life. W- would you consider coming on board as president? And I started to talk to my sons. I've got two of them here, one of them in college. And they said, Dad, this is something that you wanted to do all your life. This is right up your alley. Uh, This is where you can really leave a mark 
and make a difference. And uh, it, it's a challenge that, uh, you know, frankly, I, I would love to be able to accept, and I did. And so um, I, I think it was really my kids who convinced me more than anyone else. Yeah, kids are pretty persuasive, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they, they sure are. <laughs> That's great. So what are some of the challenges that the Sea Keepers faces right now as a nonprofit uh, given today's global climate? You know, I think the primary challenge for all nonprofits is fundraising. That uh, having been in the financial services market during, you know, 2007, 2008, and seeing what happened to people's portfolios, uh, fundraising is very difficult. Um, What you've got to do to do it successfully is you have to have a message that resonates with your audience. And I think our message does resonate. We're not political, we're not taking a side. What we're doing is we are financing the gathering of information so that scientists can form learned decisions on what's happening with the oceans. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I personally have a view that there's a deterioration, um, but, but you've got to back those views up with science. And what we're providing is the data that the scientists need to do that. Right, right. So besides having the strong message... Um, as you were saying, it's very difficult given the economy and given how people's portfolios have suffered to really get them to part with some money to donate to the cause. So do you see your financial background coming into play in that respect? And if so, how? Very much. We, you know, In my background, I was involved primarily with wealth management. Uh, a lot of our members will be giving through family foundations, and one of the joys of having a family foundation is that it gives a, a unification to the family in terms of the mark that they want to leave on their world. So I, I think I can successfully talk to the family, not only about the importance of giving, but the the priorities of giving. And so, you know, I can talk their language. I can talk to their financial advisor. I can talk to the head of the family office, understand what they're going through in terms of the investment portfolio, and the results of that portfolio has had, and then at the same time, they are going to give to some charity. As a foundation, you know, by tax law, they have to give to a charity. Uh, I can slip in that, you know, Sea Keepers is probably the right one. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's something that other charities are lacking, someone who can speak the right language, so to speak, to help these individuals really realize that this is the right connection for them? Um. Lacking is probably the wrong word. I think certainly a lot of the charities are run by people who have that particular charity as a passion. Mm-hmm. I think the smart ones have managed to incorporate onto their board uh, advisors who come from a financial background. And it's probably not necessary to have all the CEOs be, be ex-bankers, but I think it's useful to have somebody on your board who has that background. Right, right. Makes sense. So let's talk about some of the initiatives that the Sea Keeper Society is focusing on. Um, you know, what are say one or two that are important ones for the near future? You know, in the immediate future, I think that the most important initiative we've undertaken is a partnership with Yachts International, uh, which is a, an extremely good magazine servicing the super yacht industry. What, what that will give us is a lot more awareness and we will be doing joint events at the you know the principal yacht gathering uh locations if you like con monaco st bart's fort lauderdale but i think it's really going to help build an awareness as to what sea keepers is all about 
And that ties back to my point about, you know, how people give. They they will give to a, a charitable institution that they are aware of, that's like-minded, and whose mission is important to them. A mm-hmm. um, couple of things we want to do, just in addition to what we're doing with Yachts International, we are one of the few charities that actually provides a piece of equipment. So rather than in raising money to give it to grants to universities or, or, or other scientists, we actually have a piece of equipment that we've patented and we put on the ships. Uh, I think one of the priorities is to constantly improve that equipment, to make it smaller, to make it cheaper, to make it modern, and, and that will be a priority for us. Mm-hmm. Um, two others, uh, we're, we're, you know, I think our outreach to the academic community can be improved. Uh, for years, we've had a relationships with Scripps over on the West Coast. Um, I would like to rekindle our relationship with the University of Miami and the, the Rosensteel School here and, and really get the scientists excited about the atmospheric and marine data that we're providing. And, and then I think the final initiative is to expand the fleet. Um, we, we have, I think, 55 active devices that are transmitting. Uh, we should greatly increase that. There's no reason why a Seakeeper unit can't be put on more commercial vessels, perhaps even military vessels in the mm-hmm. future, and just increase the number of data points that are available to the scientific community. Right, right. You know, I've written about the, the Seakeeper's equipment before on Mega Yacht News, but for the benefit of some of the people who may not have seen those articles, why don't you describe what the equipment does and, and how it operates? Sure. The, the Seakeeper's really has two parts. One is the atmospheric which is, if you like, a small weather station that goes on the mass of the ship. And the other is the uh, the marine. And the marine is a through-haul fitting, a very sophisticated piece of equipment. It's a, you know, it's a Teflon device that sits on the bottom of the boat. And that collects a number of, of different bits of information. The primary one that's transmitted on a regular basis is sea surface temperature and salinity. Uh, there are sensors that measure, you know, of other parts of what's going on in the ocean, so to speak. But the the primary transmission that's done on a four-minute cycle is the met data, the weather data, sea surface temperature, and salinity. Uh, that's transmitted through NOAA, and then NOAA distributes it through a United Nations agency to scientists in about 156 countries. Mm. Yeah, it's really impressive, and I I knew somewhat about what the unit did prior to really delving more into it, but when I found that the number of countries and scientists who were using this information, I really thought it was extraordinary because a lot of them really never had this much data available to them before. Yeah. It's great. In talking with one of the NOAA scientists, he he gave me a um, sort of a parallel. Right now, if there's a storm approaching, you can go on your iPhone or you can go on the TV and you get remarkably accurate radar pictures as to what that storm looks like. And that's because there has been in the last 10 years a private and public cooperation where where the radar share information and go into a common model. Uh, Kind of picture a world in which there are only 10 radars rather than thousands throughout the country. Mm -hmm. You get an idea of how limited the information would be. That's where we are with ocean research right now. We simply don't have enough radars out there. And what Seakeepers does, if you like, provides more feet on the street 
in terms of being able to collect data. Right, right. Well, here's hoping there's even more feet on the street in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Dean, thanks again for joining us today, and we wish you much success with your new position and uh, hope the preservation efforts continue to make a difference. Well, thank you so much, and I, I look forward to visiting with you in the future and, and talking about the successes. That sounds good. Well, everybody, if you'd like to learn more about the International Seakeeper Society, you can visit their website, which is www.seakeepers.org. Thanks for tuning in to Megayacht News Radio today. To learn more about the Megayacht market, you can read my daily blog, check out exclusive videos, and listen to more exclusive podcasts on my website, which is www.megayachtnews.org.